Let me begin this way. You've heard this before. Every story has a story. Is that not true? I mean, if you listen to a story, somebody has gone through something and they tell you a story. Well, that story is the main thing. But if, if you listen to them longer or if you're reading a story, if you read it more carefully, you realize that there's some stories in the story. And a good example of that is the story of David, young David, killing the giant Goliath. Now, now you say, well, what is this? Now, we are all familiar with that story. I would, I would think the Wednesday night group would all know the big deal about the story. You have this young shepherd boy. He was probably about 20 years of age. And he goes out to battle this giant named Goliath, who the Bible tells us was about nine feet tall. And he had on a coat of armor. You and I'd call it like, a, like today a police would wear a body vest. Well, he had this body vest on that weighed 125 pounds. So here's this, here's this warrior, and here's this little shepherd boy, and the giant had his spear, and he was ready to do battle, and all this shepherd boy had, you know the story. He had the sling and the five smooth stones, and, and of course, you know, he, he won the victory in that deal. He, he defeated the giant. He killed it. And that, that is the story of David and Goliath, and we've heard it all my life. Now, inside of that story, there are several stories that tell us things in David's life that enabled him to be the victor in his battle with, with the giant Goliath. Now, here's how this has something to do with you and with me. These very things that we're going to look at tonight and probably next Wednesday night also are things that we need to have already in place in our lives so that when we face the Goliaths that we face in life, and we all face them, you may be facing one now. I was listening to John's sermon idea a while ago. You know, the fact of the matter is uh, out there on the end, it works out well just like it did for David, you know, it was not his body that was left for the, uh, for the birds to eat, it was, it was the giant's body that was left for them to eat. But as we journey through life and we face these Goliaths, and I hope you're not facing one now, I hope you're not, but if you are not, and if Jesus tarries, you will. Jesus teaches us that in this world you will have tribulations. I mean, they, they just come. You may say, well, I, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to be exempt. Well, <laughs> good luck. Nobody's going to be exempt. We live in a fallen world, and, and things come our way that we wish had not. But here's the good thing. If we are prepared ourselves before these things come, it's, it's almost too late to get ready when it happens. You need to be ready before they come then you're going to find out it's going to work out much better for you. Now, with that little background, if you'd open your Bible to the book of 1 Samuel, let's just do that first. The book of 1 Samuel, if you don't have a Bible, there, there are Bibles in the pew rack in front of you. Now, if you'll take your midweek sheet, I, I thought about this today, and they're going to put this on the screen. You, you notice it shows the title of the message, not it shows the scripture. And then it has a little parenthesis. It says, 1 Samuel describes a transition of leadership in Israel from judges to kings. Now, uh, I, they have it on the screen. 
Now, it's already printed for you, but I'm going to suggest something to you that is a blessing to me. In fact, I'm, I'm trying to finalize it uh, in, in a new Bible. Uh, one of my goals has always been that in a very concise statement, if possible, sometimes it takes more than just one sentence, but it's at, at the beginning, there's 66 books in the Bible, Okay. Now, many times you turn, especially these Old Testament books, like you turn to, to Second Kings, you say, well, now what's this book about? Or you turn to Chronicles, what's this book about? Well, what I'm doing, in fact, I have a brand new Bible. And uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm just kind of trying to, I'm, I want to get it done in this Bible. And I have it probably about two-thirds done in another Bible. So I'm going back to that Bible and looking at what I had written and saying maybe I could say it a little bit better. But here's, here's the point. It will help you as you read your Bible when you open a book in the Bible. It doesn't matter. You may open the first Samuel tonight. We'll be in chapter 16, 17. But wherever it is in the Bible that you're reading, if you just know what that book is about, it will make what you read in that book come alive in a very special way. So in this brand new Bible, I've written just what you see on the sheet. I say, I have written, describes a transition of leadership in Israel from judges to kings. You say, well, why would you write that in your Bible? Can't you just remember that? Probably not. On 66 books, well, I might, I might could come close. But I'm just saying to you, it, it really makes sense if you know what a book in the Bible, what's the big picture of this book? And 1 Samuel, it's easy to do. The big picture of the whole book of 1 Samuel is just this transition of leadership in Israel from judges to kings. Now, you know, before you, of course, Ruth is a little book right before 1 Samuel, but back the book before Ruth is the book of Judges. And, you know, the way God had it all put together, I guess would be a way to say it, he had leaders for the Hebrew people. You remember, Moses was God's leader. He led the Hebrew people out of Egypt, and he thought he was going to lead them into the promised land, even though he himself never got into the promised land because he was disobedient. But he was God's leader, Moses. But God was the king. Now, when Moses died, his assistant, Joshua, became God's leader. And, of course, he led the people across the Jordan into the promised land. But God was still the king. Now, when Joshua died, you say, well, now, who did God, did he have an assistant to take over? No, he didn't. And what God did when Joshua died, God selected what the Bible calls these judges. And in the book of Judges, you read 12 of the judges, and then there are two others that are mentioned elsewhere, but we won't go into all that tonight. But the point is, even these judges, you say, now what did these judges do? You know, we think about a judge, we're thinking about like day in court type thing. Well, these judges, they would deliver the people, and then they had authority over the people to uh, make sure they were going by the things. They, they, they administered justice. And, of course, one would go along for a while, and that period lasted about 300 years. But even during the period of judges, even though the judges were the, the leaders of the people as God spoke to them, but God was still the king. 
Now, what's really interesting about that is that there came a point, and, and, and during Samuel's time, he was the last of the judges and was the first prophet of God, but the people decided that they wanted to have a king like all the other countries did, all the other nations. They, they weren't content with God being the king. Uh, they were okay when they had Moses, and they were okay when they had Joshua, and they, they, they were okay for a while, but after about 300 years of these judges, they said, enough of this. We want us a king. And so, with that little background, I want you to look in 1 Samuel. Let's go into chapter 8. I want us to kind of see this. It will make the other uh, so much better. I can assure you, do not worry. We will not finish. And I encourage you, don't die before next Wednesday night because I have some really good stuff that I'm not going to get to tonight. But look with me in the book of Judges, in, in a, a book of 1 Samuel, excuse me, 1 Samuel in chapter number 8. We read about Israel, the man that a king. It says, came to pass when Samuel was old. Now he's the last of these judges. That he made his sons judges over Israel. Well, they don't even, the name of his firstborn was Joel. And the name of his second was Abijah. And they were judges in Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain. They took bribes. They perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together. And they came to Samuel, and they said to him, Look, you're old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. And now look what they said. This is something to underline if you're a Bible underliner. They said, Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. They said, You know, all these other nations around us, they have kings. We need us a king. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. You know, that'd be a good sermon. Like when you, when you get discouraged, what do you do? Well, the best thing you can do is what he just did. He was, dis, he was displeased, but what did he do? He prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, now look what God told Samuel. He said, heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they rejected me that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. If you read through the book of Judges, they repeatedly do that. Uh, they, they, they begin to serve other gods, and then they see that's not right, and the judge points out, and they repent, and they get back close to God. It's just a cycle of that, a continuing cycle all the way through the book. Verse 9 says, now, God said, Now therefore heed the voice, however, you shall solemnly forewarn them. He said, Now you need to tell them something. Show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. Now in verse 9, in verse 10 and following, uh, Samuel begins to tell the people, now look, if you get a king, here's what he's going to do, and you're not going to like it. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king, and here's what he said to them. He says, now this is going to be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots. And to be his horsemen, and some will run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over his thousands, captains over his fifties, and will set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields, the best of your vineyards, and the best of your olive groves, and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain. 
and your vintage and will give it to his officers and servants. He will take your male servants, your female servants, your finest young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your sheep and you will be his servants. And you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you've chosen for yourselves. And the Lord will not hear you on that day. Boy, you'd think at this point, they'd say, we don't want a king, would you not? But look what it says in verse 19. Nevertheless, (laughs) the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but we will have a king over us. They're not happy with God being the king. They want them an earthly king. They said, we want a king over us that we may also be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Well, we'll stop. I read that point. You get the picture. The people want a king. And, of course, as you read on in the story, what God did, you know, you need to be careful what you ask God because he might give it to you. Well, he gave them a king. And that first king, the first king of the Hebrew people, the first king of Israel, as you know, was King who? Saul. King Saul. He was the one. And God told Samuel to anoint him as king. So, and Samuel obeyed what the Lord had told him. And then as we begin to read this story, And if you'll turn over now in chapter number 16, where I want us to kind of focus in tonight, here here come some of these things in, 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 in David's life that as we fast forward, because David, he comes into the picture. And we we know him in the picture about killing the big old giant. Well, there's more to that story than just killing the big old giant. So I want you to look with me in chapter number 16. And if you have your little uh, midweek sheet, you might want to fill in the blanks as we have time to deal with them because the things we see in David's life now uh, they're the things we want to build into our lives and and I hope all of us already have them built in we just probably need to expand them we need to enlarge them and and I think we'd all agree with that first of all we need to be faithful in the present we need to be faithful in the present this is huge this is huge. And look with me in chapter 16, and let's look in verse 1. We'll see it. Now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? See, and I've rejected him. Now we've skipped, we fast-forwarded. God's, God's rejected Samuel for sins he'd committed. God says, okay, I'm rejecting him from reigning over Israel. He's no longer going to be king over the Hebrew people. And Samuel is just brokenhearted about it. And God says, enough of that. How long are you going to keep whining about that? Look, fill your horn with oil. I'm sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Now, that means he lives in Bethlehem. Many of you have been to Bethlehem. Many of us have been there. For I have provided myself a king among his sons. God says, I've got me a king out here. I chose, I had one, and he didn't, he didn't do what he should do. He disobeyed, and uh, we'll deal with that in another sermon. He said, but okay, but I have another one. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, now remember, Saul's still the king. God's rejected him, but he's still, he's still in office, okay? He said, if Saul hears it, he'll kill me. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. 
Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one that I named to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said. Boy, that's underline that. That's a great quality. He did what the Lord said, and he went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came that he looked at Lob. Now, Lob is Jesse's oldest son. He's his oldest son. And he said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. So he thought, I bet this is the one. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Boy, that's a, that's a statement worth underlining numbers of times. God knows a man's heart. God knows a woman's heart. So Jesse called Abinadab, he's his second son, uh, and made him pass by Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema, that's his third son, pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons. Now, he had eight. Well, now he's made seven of them go by Samuel, thinking one of these seven will be the next king. And God said to Samuel, none of these. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord's not chosen any of these. Verse 11, Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? He said, are these all the boys you have? And then Jesse said, no. There remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. Now, I wish you'd underline that. That's David. He's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send, bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes. So he sent and brought him, and now he was ruddy, had bright eyes, good-looking, and the Lord said, Arise, anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose and went to Ramah. Now, Saul continues to be king, even though God has said, This is going to be our king. You anoint him. Well, it was time later before he ever actually you and I would say it this way, took office. Now, here's the lesson that I think is so very important, is as you read about David and all the wonderful things David did, he looked upon as the greatest king in Israel's history. But the fact of the matter is, he was faithful in the present, even as a little shepherd boy. Put put something, if you can, maybe a sheet. Turn over to Matthew chapter 25. I want to show you something. In Matthew 25, and you'll be familiar with this, it's where Jesus has what we know is the parable of the talents. In Matthew chapter 25, and we, we'll, we'll just kind of hit the high spots of it, but it's worth looking at because it, it's dealing with this very same thing, how important it is to be faithful in the present. Uh, and and in, in, in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 14, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own service, delivered his goods to them. To one, you know, he gave five talents. Then to one, he gave two. And you read this parable on down. To one, he gave one. And then when he comes back, the one he gave five has ten. The one he gave two has four. The one he gave one, he, he still got one. He went out and dug a hole in the ground and put it there. And... Uh, 
But the, the message in that, you see it down in verse 21. To those who did the right thing, he says, well done, uh, good and faithful servant. You were faithful in verse 21 over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. You know, God, th- this is so very true. God uses people that are faithful in the present. You know, I remember in seminary, it always, it, it, well, it confused me then. I look back on it and I shouldn't have been as confused, but you know, I remember during seminary, of course, I worked at a church. I was on staff at a church during that time. And I would visit seminary students who've come to seminary. They, many times, most of the time, they had families. And they had, many of them would go in time and serve churches all over everywhere, but, but others didn't do that. Uh, but like some of them like didn't go anywhere to church. They're, like they're in seminary preparing to be pastors and music directors and education directors and all these things. And I, I, on Sundays, like when we'd be going to church, I just noticed with a lot of our seminary families, they just don't go to church. And I, would get, I got to know some of those. And I, I, I asked one. I still can remember the one I asked. And, and they said, well, when we get out of seminary, you know, we'll be in church work, and we're going to be very active then. It's interesting, the one that told me this, uh, he's long gone, been out of the ministry. You know, can you imagine a person going through seminary that doesn't himself go to church or serve church while he's in seminary, thinking that one day I'm going to get out here, and then I'm going to be faithful to God? It's this old idea, you know. When I, when I get out of school, I'm going to read my Bible more. Or when I do this, I'm going to read my Bible. No, no. You're probably going to read You know, the fact of the matter is you're probably never going to do much better than what you are doing unless you're faithful in the present. I just want to encourage you to be faithful in the present because that's what God wants for all of us to do. And here's why I'm encouraged about that. It's one of the things we can all do. Like we can't all preach we can't all teach we can't all sing but there's not a person in this room not a person watching tonight that can't be faithful and without faith the bible says it's impossible to do what to please god well that means if it's impossible without faith to please god then if we have faith, it does please God. And the, the good thing about that is I can do that. I can be faithful. I may not be the best. You may not be the best. There's always somebody out there better. But that's not the issue. God looks at the heart. We read that. And I just encourage you, and you are. But it's easy to slack up. It's easy to let back. It, you know, things just happen the next thing, you know. But, but you know, I think, I think when we stand before God at that beam of judgment and we're given our rewards based on what we've done in our body, and I was talking about Christian people, I, I, think, I think the big thing is how faithful, how faithful we've been. And I want to encourage you, you just stay faithful. You stay faithful to reading your Bible. You stay faithful to praying. 
And you stay faithful doing what you can do and what you should do for the Lord. Be faithful in the present. And then when we get out here in life and one of these Goliaths comes, we're in much better shape than we would be otherwise. Well, let's move on. Let's move on to, uh, well, before I move on to that, you know, I had something happen yesterday that uh, Dr. Jim Hastings and his wife Kay uh, they, back in the early part of this COVID, they joined our church. They joined online, and you've been seeing him on the screen. Uh, he had planned to start his class Sunday, but because of COVID and the numbers spiking up, and uh, they're going to kind of postpone starting that class. But be that as, be that as it may, uh, it, it, they, they will be such a blessing in this church. He, he just has a, he has a gift to teach. He's, a, he's just a beyond words gifted Bible teacher, and I'm so thrilled that God has led them to our church. Well, he had called me about something yesterday, and I'd called him back, and he sent me a text yesterday, and I have his permission to read his text, okay? I, I asked him today by text, could I please use the text? He said, uh, he wrote me back, and he said, uh, and I'm quoting his text. Because he had talked to some, he, he deals a lot with Pam and lots with Tom. Uh, but he wrote me, and I quote, I want you to know that I think FBP, that's First Baptist Pasadena, has the best staff I've ever met. And then he had six exclamation points. Well, I, you know, that was really, he saw something. Now, what did he see? He just saw some folks faithful. I, I, I see it all the time. We don't have a perfect staff, but I'll tell you what, we've got some faithful folks. And they didn't just get faithful with COVID. They've hung in here all the way, <laughs> and it's not always easy. But I, I, that just blessed my heart to think, now, Jim Hastings is new among us. Other than me and John, he's never had much interaction with staff. And now he's been having interaction with staff, and he's found out, you know, we, we've really got a good staff. And I thank the Lord for that, and I, I thank the Lord that, that he observed that and shared that. Well, a second thing, if you'll jot down on your little worship sheet, that is important, we need to use the talent God has given us. That's so very important. Now, you know, we could have a long Bible study between talent, spiritual gifts, I mean, but call it abilities, of course, spiritual gifts are a whole other issue. But the fact of the matter is, every one of us has some God-given abilities. Could, we, could I have an amen to that? Do we agree with that? You may say, oh, not me. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, when you say that, you're being, you're not, you need to realize you're a child of God, and God made you in his image and made you to be like he wants you to be. And so when people just say, well, you know, I don't have any talents at all, what they're really saying is God messed up. Well, let me tell you something. God doesn't mess up. God he has given every person the talents, the gifts, the ability, and then he gives spiritual gifts. Now, I understand that. To, and, and we need to use those uh, in a very special way. Now, uh, David, like we think of David as the king. Well, before he was a king, he had some other talents. He was very talented in music. He, he was, uh, I guess we could say it this way, he was like the court musician. He played the flute. We'll look at it in just a moment. And, and that, that was one of his 
great talents. And so look, let's look in chapter 16 and look down with me uh, in about verse number 14. Uh, it says, The Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled Saul. Now, that's a sermon for another time, and it's not another time, but I must comment on that. Look at that verse. The Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. I can understand that. And a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled Saul. You say, you mean God gives distressing spirits? No, listen carefully. In God's sovereignty, see, God's sovereign, and he allowed distressing spirits to come upon Saul. So it's not like God is going around giving people distress in spirits. But God is sovereign, and God can do whatever God chooses to do. Well, let's move on. Saul's servant said to him, surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. They're going to give God, <laughs> these servants don't have a clue what they're saying. Verse 16 said, let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is a skillful player on the harp. And it shall be that when he play it with his hand, with the distressing spirit from God is upon you, that you shall be well. He said, if we can get somebody to play a musical instrument, it's going to calm your spirit. So Saul said to his servants, provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. He said, find somebody that can play one of these instruments and bring him in here. Then verse 18 says, one of Saul's servants answered and said, look, I've seen a son of Jesse from Bethlehem who is skillful in playing a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey, loaded with bread, a skin of wine, a young goat, and sent them by his son David to Saul. So David came to Saul and stood before him, and Saul loved him greatly, and he became his uh, armor-bearer. Then Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Please let David stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. Now look in verse 23. Verse 23. And so it was, whenever the Spirit from God was upon Saul, that David would take a harp and play it with his hand. Then Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. So, now, we're talking about a young man about 20 years of age. Standing here before the king, who's in a very distressed spirit, but he had an ability. He had a talent, and he used that talent that God had given him. Now, I, I hope a moment ago I convinced all of you that you do have some talent. You know, one way you can kind of know what that might be, this, this may not work 100%, but it works pretty good. Whatever you like to do, is probably something God has given you the ability or has gifted you to do. Like, for example, if Jimmy asked me, Sunday, would you stand and sing a solo? Well, the answer would be no. But, like, if I even tried to do something like that, and I'll get into this next week about being out of my anointing, God hasn't given me that, so I wouldn't like to do that. Uh, like, if a person doesn't like to work with children, then, then God probably didn't give them the talent, uh, the ability to work with children. He did other people. Maybe they like to work with older adults or whatever. So whatever it is you like doing, is what, what do you enjoy doing? That, that might be a hint to what, but what God has given you to do. And uh, 
Well, let's deal with one more quickly. Uh, that is, we need to be responsible. That's another thing that we see in the life of David. Now, if you turn over and look in chapter 17, we'll just do a verse or two on this. Look with me in verse number 15. It says, David occasionally went and returned to Saul, from Saul, to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Now, he's over here now as an arm bearer for Saul. But he was responsible. He remembered he had a father. He remembered his father had sheep. And occasionally he'd go back to see about those sheep to do, to do what he could. If you look down in verse 28, you see this whole thing of responsibility again. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with a keeper. He didn't just abandon the sheep. He, he had something he needed to do because he was going to do what his dad had asked him to do. He was going to take this stuff to see about his brothers. But the point I'm making is here, he was responsible. He took care of his responsibilities. You know, God uses people like that. People that they've given a responsibility. It may not be a big deal, but it's their responsibility. And people that, that take care of these small responsibilities, um, well, God, for one, will, he'll, he'll give them some larger responsibilities. And it's certainly the way it works in life. You know, if somebody at work, they may have a very low classification job, but if they're faithful in that and take care of their, and they're responsible, then they kind of move up and, and get other jobs. So it is a very encouraging thing. Now, the problem with what I'm going to do is we're stopping in the very middle. But that's just what we're going to have to do because time has run out. I want to encourage you. You've got the little worship sheet. And, hey, this would be fun. I don't know if you want to do it or not. But you have four, five, six, and seven. We'll do those next week. But you have the verses where I'm going to get my little fill in the blanks. See how well you do filling in the blanks before next week. You've got the verses. And if, if you fill in every blank, starting with number four, uh, then, no, I just did number four. You're going to do five, six, and seven. That's what you do. You fill in five, six, and seven. Uh, so that's not all that many blanks. You have the verses. If you fill those incorrectly, uh, I'll, I'll tell you to send that note to my office, and I'll give you uh, a reward. How will that be? Your enthusiasm is very depressing. It really is. I mean, that's a, that, that would, to me, that would be a fun thing. I've got blanks to fill in. I've given you the verses. Now, figure it out. Figure it out. Well, Lord, you know, the fact is, God, and where we'll wind up next week is we kind of come to the end of this whole thing and wrap it all up, God, is that we need to be what we need to be now so when whatever comes later, we're already prepared and God I, I, I just to me it's just such a it's just a slam dunk if, if, if we're not prepared spiritually facing the things God we face in life then we'll just have to face all those things in our own strength but I thank you we don't have to do that we'll get into this sling and this stone next week 